0: Do you believe in the power of prayer? Our sermon text this morning is James chapter five, verses 13 through 20, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. As we open it this morning, may your Holy Spirit open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the truth so that we may rightly live for the sake of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was 22 years old, And just a month into my new job as a music director at a really large church up in the San Francisco Bay Area, when I was given the opportunity to chaperone a high school missions trip to Mexico. And one dark and stormy evening while we were there, about 12 of us crammed into a tiny maroon Toyota Sienna, that's right, 12 of us, and we departed from Mexico City for the two hour drive to Toluca. The rain was coming down in sheets the highway was narrow, mountainous, and curvy, and everyone was driving at breakneck speeds. We were terrified. And then, then the Siena, as it was chugging up a steep hill, suddenly the engine died right in the middle of the road and right around a very sharp bend. Big rig after big rig careened around that bend and missed us by mere inches as the driver tried and tried to get the van started again. Pray, she cried out. And so I prayed. I don't remember exactly what I did pray, but I do remember this. I cried out to God and I begged him to start our van in Jesus' name. Well, the driver tried one last time, turned the key and the engine roared to life and everyone cheered as we peeled out and sped off out of mortal danger. Now that moment was obviously a good time to pray. But this morning we'll see in our text that every time always is a good time to pray. James 5, 13 through 20 tells us that the righteous pray. The righteous pray for help, the righteous pray in praise, the righteous pray for healing, the righteous pray in confession, and the righteous pray with action. Now, I know that's a lot. I'll go through it a little more slowly as we go through. But first of all, we should notice that James 5, We're coming into the very last section of the book of James. And throughout his epistle, kids, do you know what the word epistle means? Letter. Very good. It means letter. So throughout his letter, James has been encouraging his followers and the followers of Jesus to stay faithful in the midst of hardships. His letter begins in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, saying this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And then throughout the letter, James visits these, these ideas and these thoughts, and then here at the very end of his letter in chapter five, James wraps up this theme and shows us that prayer in particular is related to trials, faith, and steadfastness. If you have your Bible, open it to James chapter five, and let's read just the first half of verse 13, where we'll see first, the righteous pray for help. The righteous pray for help. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So we see here James starts out by asking a rhetorical question. Is anyone among you suffering? Well, the answer is obviously yes. There's got to be at least one someone among James' audience who is suffering. And the Greek word translated as suffering there is kakopatheo, you hear that patheo, pathos? It's synonymous with enduring hardships. To see an example of what James has in mind here, we only need to look a few verses before this one to find him using that same exact word, kakopatheo, in verse 10. In verse 10 of chapter five, James says, as an example of suffering, kakopatheas and patience brothers take the prophets in the who spoke in the name of the lord james gives us a specific example of those who endured hardships suffering it's the prophets who spoke the name of the lord how did the prophets experience suffering well if you'll notice by and large when we look out th- throughout scripture it was due to external forces people who persecuted and attacked the prophets for calling out sin let's look at a few examples from scripture first elijah we heard it just a few minutes ago elijah cried out to god in first kings chapter 19 verse 14 he says i've been very jealous for the lord the god of hosts for the people of israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and i even i only am left and they seek my life to take it away if you turn over to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 38, 6, we read this. So they took Jeremiah, and they cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. And Second Chronicles 26, 15 through 16 says this of Israel. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, until there was no remedy. Notice that the suffering endured by the prophets in these texts was external, Is anyone among you suffering like the prophets? Are you being mocked? Are you being scoffed at? Are you being despised? Maybe even being threatened? I don't know about you all. Oh, excuse me, I mean (laughs) y'all here in Texas, but back in California, we are experiencing a growing hostility against the church. Biblical marriage is under attack. Biblical manhood and womanhood are under attack. Biblical worship is under attack. We are under attack for wanting to live our lives free of government intrusion regarding what is right and wrong. Are there other external hardships that you might be enduring this morning? Have you lost your job? Are you in danger of losing your job? Have you lost a loved one? Are you being harassed for standing for life on a college campus? in a variety of ways and intensities, many of us this morning are suffering. And what does James say? He says, tell it to God. Cry out to him. The righteous pray for help. Ask God for help and be specific. Ask God to help you, to deliver you right now, right where you need it. What if you don't know exactly what to pray, or maybe how to pray. Well, then pray the prayers of other saints. In particular, go to the book of Psalms and pray. Did you know that of the 150 Psalms, 44 or so of them are lament Psalms? Does anyone know what it means to lament? Sometimes we think it means you say, oh, woe is me. Well, that's part of it. But the word lament means to cry out to God for help. And the psalmist is crying out to God for help. At Trinity Classical Academy, it's a school where I work, we begin every class period by reading, meditating on, and then discussing a psalm. And early on, every school year, the students come to realize that a lot of time is spent in the psalms crying out to God. We begin at the beginning of the year with Psalm 1, and it's a wisdom psalm. And then Psalm 2 is a royal psalm. And then we get to Psalm 3, Psalm 4, Psalm 5, Psalm 6, Psalm 7, Psalm 10, all lament psalms. Lament psalms, psalms that cry out to God, can comfort us to know that we are not alone in our suffering. They encourage us because they remind us that God hears when we cry out and he answers when we cry out. One of my favorite lament psalms is Psalm 6 because of its vivid imagery of enduring Hardship. Let me read it for you. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, Lord, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver me, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all of you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall be turned back and put to shame in a moment. That's good news, brethren. The Lord hears the prayers of the righteous. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. The righteous pray for help. Second, the righteous pray in praise. Let's read the second half of verse 13. James says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Well, we've seen the obvious so far, that you pray when you're in trouble. But we often forget, don't we, that when times are good, we're supposed to pray as well. When things are going well, I tend to assume that it's because I'm doing everything right. It's going well for me because I'm pretty amazing. That my well-being is due to my merits. We forget James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. We need to remember that when God has blessed us, our response is to be thankful. And not just a little thankful, a lot thankful. We're not just to tell praise. We're not just to shout praise. What does it say? We are to sing praise. Praise. You can probably tell already that my family and I love singing, and I think that you all love singing too, right? Isn't it glorious to come in here on the Lord's Day and enter his gates with thanksgiving and sing praise in response to a God who has called us into his presence? I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me even more cheerful and thankful when I sing praise. The Greek word here for sing praise is psalo, from which we get the word Psalm. Yes, I know you don't say it that way. This is why the King James version of this uh, passage says, let him sing psalms. As you already likely know, but you should be reminded all the time, the psalms are the songbook of the church and they have been the songbook of the church throughout history. That's why we sing a psalm every week here at, back at my church and here at King's Cross. We just sang one a few minutes ago. Notice that? It was Psalm 100. That's a psalm, a hymn of praise. Is anyone cheerful this morning? Let him sing praise. The righteous pray in praise. Next, the righteous pray for healing. Let's read verses 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Here, James addresses another good time for the righteous to pray. We've seen how to pray when you're suffering externally. We've seen how to pray when you're cheerful. Now, we see how to pray when you're suffering internally. When you are, as James put it, sick. The word for sick here in the Greek refers to physical illness. It means to be weak, or ill or to fall sick. And what James commands here is something that we practice back at Christ Church Santa Clarita and it's sure it's something I'm sure that you all practice here at King's Cross as well. Notice first that James says if you are sick, you need to call for the elders to pray over you. It's the responsibility of the sick person to call upon the elders. Maybe you're sick this morning. Maybe you're just trying to put a good face on it. Okay, but also, call. Call upon your elders to pray for you. Maybe you're just fine this morning. Well, if you are, you may find yourself sick one day. And I want you to remember this morning. And I want you to not just pray on your own. Call upon the elders to pray for you. What about his mention here of anointing with oil? that seem kind of odd? Well, we are to do that too. Why? Because James tells us to. <laughs> but why else? Is it magical? Is this some kind of magic trick? No. Notice, it doesn't say that the oil will save. Verse 15 says, it is the prayer of faith that will save. So then why oil? Why do we use oil? Well, in the Old Testament, priests, kings, and prophets were anointed with oil, as a way of showing God's selection, God's favor over these men. Anointing with oil is a way of reminding yourself and reminding God remember, God sees what we do too that He chooses us, that He loves us, that He is for us, just like those kings and priests and prophets of old. A friend of mine wrote the following about anointing the sick. He said, Sometimes we make religion about spiritual things and therefore things we can't see Anointing with oil like baptism and the lord's supper is a physical act that reminds us that god is concerned with all Of us body and soul It is a way of submitting our body to god and acknowledging him as lord over it And so we anoint with oil in the name of the Lord verse 15 and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up I think a common response to verse 15 is well what if the sick person isn't healed you probably know people we've prayed and prayed and prayed for that they'd be healed and they don't get healed what if the Lord doesn't raise that sick person up Does this mean that the prayer in faith of those elders didn't have enough faith? Does that mean that maybe the elders aren't righteous enough? Well, no. It can't mean that. Well, one possibility is that the words save and raise up here are not referring to healing, but rather to salvation. But think about this for a second. That doesn't really make sense. When the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas in Acts 16 what he must do to be saved, They don't answer him, repent and be baptized and have us pray for you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and then you'll be saved. Right? They just say, repent and be baptized and you will be saved. The sick person in James 5 already has that salvation. He's talking to the church. What he needs is healing. The key, therefore, is this. James isn't saying that God will always heal those who are prayed for and anointed with oil in the name of the Lord, at least not in this life. Think about it. If that were the case, we could potentially be having this conversation with James right here this morning. Every time he was about to die and he was sick, he would just have the elders pray for him and he'd have anointed oil and he would never die. So what is James saying then? He's saying, this is how you pray when you're sick. In his commentary on James, Douglas Moo writes this, the faith exercised in prayer is faith in the God who sovereignly accomplishes his will when we pray our faith recognizes explicitly or implicitly the overruling providential purposes of god perhaps we could put it this way when god doesn't heal you it's because god has chosen you he's chosen you to bear this great weakness to show his strength in you That's precisely what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12 when he prayed for God to take away that thorn in his flesh. Remember, he prayed three times, take it away, and what did God answer? He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Then Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. The righteous pray for help. The righteous pray in praise. The righteous pray for healing. Next, the righteous pray in confession. Let's read the end of verse 15 through verse 16. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Here, James moves on from the believer who is seriously ill and needs to be raised up to the rest of the church, individuals who may also be suffering other illnesses, illnesses which may or may not be linked to sin. Whether we find ourselves sick physically or spiritually, the reality is this. We know this is true. We all sin often. Therefore, we need to confess often. When we sin against each other, we are to confess those sins to one another and seek for forgiveness. A church that confesses sin and prays for one another is a healthy church. Maybe you're thinking right now, well, I haven't sinned against any member here at Christ Church that I can think of. Hmm. What about your spouse? Kids, uh, what about your sibling? I mean, I know I never sin against my wife, and I know my children never sin against each other, not ever on a road trip. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, King's Cross. A confessing and praying church is a healed church. James encourages us at the end of verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe it? Prayer is powerful. Do you believe it? Righteous prayer powerfully brings help to the suffering. Righteous prayer powerfully encourages praise in the cheerful. Righteous prayer powerfully brings healing to the sick. And righteous prayer powerfully brings restoration for those who confess their sins. And then in verses 17 through 18, James goes on to give us a concrete example of the power of prayer. Let's read it. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. What's James saying here? He's showing us the power of prayer through the prophet Elijah. And he says he was a man with a nature like ours. Well, what kind of nature is that? It's a sinful nature. In other words, he was like you, he was like me. He looked forward to Jesus for righteousness that was not his own, and we look back to Jesus for righteousness that is equally not our own. But we all have a sinful nature, and we are all only righteous because of the blood of Jesus. We're just like Elijah. And notice, when Elijah prayed fervently, the world actually changed. Brethren, when you pray, the world Actually, changes because power is I'm sorry, prayer is powerful. Your prayer is powerful. We've seen the righteous pray for help, the righteous pray in praise, the righteous pray for healing, the righteous pray for confession, and finally, the righteous pray with action. Let's read verses 19 through 20. My brothers. If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. As James concludes his epistle, he calls us to action. Yes. We are to pray at all times, and we are to pray when we're sad. We're to pray when we're happy. We're to pray when we're healthy. We're to pray when we are sick. Our power, I'm sorry, I did it again. Our prayer is powerful, but we need to pray with action. That means that when we see a brother or sister around us wandering, we don't just pray for them. We act. We act. We chase them, we plead with them, we speak truth to them, we don't give up on them. We do whatever we can to bring them back to the church. We all wander at times, don't we? We don't always get very far though, thank God. And a lot of the times, the reason we don't get very far is because those who are around us and those who love us bring us back. That's what we do as the church. We pray with action. And in doing so, James tells us that we are saving a soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. Think of that. God's using us. Of course, it's really Jesus in us doing all that. It's Jesus who ultimately saves the soul and covers a multitude of sins. But wow, he chooses to use us. So let's be used by being the righteous who pray with action. This morning, we have seen that the righteous pray for help, the righteous pray in praise, the righteous pray for healing, the righteous pray in confession, and the righteous pray in action. Brethren, the righteous pray. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you call us to pray at all times And as a good father, you hear us and you answer us. So make us bold prayers in faith so that like Elijah, when we pray fervently, the world is changed for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.